time again for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host, Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening. Episode 9 will be covering Major League Baseball and the NFL Week 3 slate of games. Two interviews with some friends of mine. We'll have Tom Weisenbach on to talk football. And Brandon Marcus explains the baseball season, the highs and lows of what has been an emotional week. And hey, before I forget, a big shout out to Tim Adams who produced the song that you're hearing right now as well as all the other tracks that are frequent on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start today's show. First up, Tom Weisenbach on the NFL season. Money Mitch Effect starts right now. All right, now we have Tom Weisenbach in here, Money Mitch Effect. Tom, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Mitch. I uh, appreciate it. Once we get the call, you know, I'm happy to talk football with a fellow, I don't know, football head. What do we call football it? Football head, football alum, football guy, whatever. I <laughs> uh, worked with Tom at NFL Network. Tom works there along with at Fox. So we're just going to jump right into what happened in week three in the NFL. We're doing this, we're recording this podcast on a Monday night. It's only about 120 degrees in Los Angeles. Oh my goodness, it's been steamy today. So, yeah, I know. We're just we're ready to roll. We're, we're hot off the presses. You're a Philadelphia native, Tom, so this is probably the best point to talk Speaking Eagles of hot. football. Yeah. Would you say this is the best time to talk Eagles football in the last two, three years? Oh my gosh. Peak Eagles football? Uh, yes, especially when the Phillies are terrible. I know in the back end of the 2000s, uh, the Phillies were taking you until mid-November, and then yeah. people started worrying about the Eagles. Chip Kelly invigorated <laughs> excitement in that first year, obviously. Everybody was trying to figure out what happens. The Sixers stink. The Phillies stink. The Flyers stink. People in Philadelphia are so excited right. for this kid, Carson Wentz. Well, yeah, well, first of all... Jim Schwartz in the defense a minute, and Carson A minute, Wentz. so that's where we got for the first Chip Kelly... Yeah, subtle dig, so I, I, I took the under there. So I'm, I tried not to dig it. I was going to bring him up, but I'm glad we got that out of the way. Carson Wentz, 300 yards, no picks. Him and Dak Prescott, who we'll talk about later, are just destroying the record book for rookie quarterbacks starting off their careers with no interceptions. But they beat the Steelers. You know, it's not – the Browns and Bears are a lottery ticket to 2-0 and to start the season. So they Eagles definitely thank the scheduling gods there. But this is a pretty good win over a Pittsburgh team that was coming in hot, that was starting to get their mojo, at least offensively. And I look, before we get back to Wentz, I look at the Philly defense holding that Pittsburgh offense to three points as a major statement that this isn't a bad football team. Uh, yeah, the big guy that contributes to that is Jim Schwartz. I think yeah. he is the most uh, stable defensive coordinator, or I don't know if you can call it, Jim Johnson-esque with how, I mean, that's that's high praise, but after three weeks, I can say that this, this is the best defense I've seen since Jim Johnson has passed away. And uh, your, to your point with the Steelers being a very good win, I, I still am hesitant to be sold on them until we face uh, teams like, uh, of course, the Giants with their receiving options, uh, I don't know how good right. Dallas can be. We'll get to the yeah. NFC East, yeah. but the biggest test we were looking at yesterday was it's potentially the Vikings. We get them at home. The schedule's kind to us. This is more talking about good defenses we're going to be facing coming up, but 
I don't know if there's a good enough offense coming up on the Eagles schedule that really scares you and the Eagles defense could be good enough all season long. I don't I don't right. see a reason why Jim Schwartz and and his the pass rush is getting home which relies which makes the cornerbacks and safeties relieves their pressure on on the back end, but again, Pittsburgh Steelers, we faced a very good Pittsburgh Steelers team. However, we did not face Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. We did not face Marcus Wheaton. We did not face uh, Martavis Bryant. Antonio Brown, you shut him down, and you corralled D'Angelo Williams. You pretty much have yeah, Pittsburgh no beat, and Pittsburgh. that's the formula for beating them. So, I think the biggest thing with Pittsburgh, not to make excuses, with Le'Veon Bell notwithstanding, they do. They have a couple clunkers every year. If you look at the last like five six years, they've lost to some teams that they shouldn't have. So this isn't this is a loss on the road, a game they played awful. Write it down, move on. For Philly, we talk about the defense, how how you guys were able to get after Ben Roethlisberger, which you need to do. All those weapons, even with some on the shelf, he can just carve up any defense. And he did that. He had a few plays he where he the made, drop of did the first his Ben Roethlisberger magician technique. You know, Benny Curry slipping through his hands. You know, and Fletcher Cox, and that's why not turning the ball over is huge for Carson Wentz. I would say next to maybe Brady, Roethlisberger is the most dangerous QB with a short field. Wentz just didn't give it to him all day. He made smart, sound throws. He uh, he has a command of the offense. I think when we were working together at Tom NFL, you talked about seeing Tom Brady in person and just how he just runs the offense. Yeah, I had the and opportunity. I'm not going to put Wentz there, but the way he runs the position now is very promising for a rookie in his third start. Oh, yeah. The, I was working at the Eagles at the time, and, and we had a – a joint practice with the Patriots and Tom. Well, of course, the Eagles' defense was pretty garbage at the time, but Spoiler. to see him just carve up the yeah. team and three steps, boom, the ball's out. To see him throw, to see Carson Wentz throw Jordan Matthews open like uh, on the in route for the touchdown last week, this past week was a throw that I haven't seen from an Eagles quarterback in a long, long time. The Darren Sproles' mobility in the pocket, the poise when I've seen him drop snaps and still pick up the ball with his head up downfield, being able that to was go through his progressions. You know, he found a way to make a play. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a good time. To we haven't had a excited. pocket quarterback in 30 years. I'll say the one thing about the Eagles that I'm hesitant to, to write them down as a sure thing, uh, just yet this year, I want to see if the skill guys can elevate their game to play with him. Because the last game was Wentz spreading it out, taking what the defense gave, making smart plays. Pittsburgh was kind of giving him a lot. What happens when he plays teams with good secondaries, when the pass rush is just a little tighter? A lot of the, the Eagles' success, I also think, is the offensive line play. The, yeah. the fact that Jason Peters is healthy right now, Lane Johnson's not yet suspended, and I think that is going to be big. Once he yeah. gets suspended, mm-hmm. we're going to find out what this offensive line is made of. And if Carson Wentz doesn't have the time to throw and he's getting hit, that can open up a world of hurt for the back end of the season. Well, I, I think w- the guy I'm looking at is Jordan Matthews. Mm-hmm. Because if he can emerge as a true number one and he's shown flashes of it, and you know, that's definitely a, hyper, uh, you know, a metaphor, but he gets open, he has those breathtaking plays, and he drops, he drops a, a lot of key passes. You're waiting for the drop. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but... I worry what happens when you face teams with corners and safeties that figure out 
you know, how to how to be physical, how to run with Jordan Matthews. Can he get the separation? I've noticed some yeah. uh, to that point. I think I've noticed, uh, or I have noticed, the play calling of Doug Peterson has really helped out Carson Wentz. There were some instances where they did a uh, play-action pass. Would you say he's simplifying it? Do you think he's simplifying his calls to kind of guide him into what he eventually wants to do, or is this... I think it's uh, typical West right. Coast offense yeah, under Andy schemes. Yeah. yeah, it's the the one play that in particular that I noticed was the uh, play action pass, fake reverse, throw back to right. the other side. Yeah. It's just creating <laughs> areas where the defense has to adjust no, and I'm not sure is, which. Yeah. There's no tendencies just yet. The another play that it comes to mind is I guess in the Chicago game there was a fake jet sweep. And end around to Ryan Matthews where Jason Peters pulled and that ended up being a touchdown. And, and I remember my point from before was uh, with the Eagles' success, I think the excitement, it may sound like I'm jumping over the ledge, so, you know, 16-0, we're going to the Super Bowl, but the excitement is for when this kid finally hits his prime, when we get skill receivers, when we get yeah. a running game. It seems like Chip Kelly. Now I'll take my dig. <laughs> Number two. I'll take my dig now. Voids your team of talent. It seems we can't win with with the players that they have. Now they're winning with the players that they have on the roster in a couple of more drafts. Howie Roseman decided to make some moves, rectified some things short-term with some back end, uh, back end of the... I was about to say back end of the bullpen. Back end of the secondary, he shirt up, uh, grabbed the linebacker because of Stephen Tulloch is a Jim Schwartz guy. Yeah. That's huge. Uh, make, making really good hires... Uh, but frankly, the excitement is for when Carson Wentz gets in his prime and there are skill receivers to surround him. Right. I, no, I, I'm, I think it's as good a time to invest in some stock in the Eagles. Um, and how he also got rid of two of the worst signings, of, or acquisitions, I should say, of the last year by shipping off Alonzo, getting rid of Maxwell, and you know, going younger. Um, but hey, you know, it's all good in Philly, and the Flyers did make the playoffs last year. I know you said they were awful too. I'll say I accept mediocre there. The Flyers, <laughs> the Flyers did make the playoffs. It's just getting bounced out of the first yeah. round doesn't necessarily qualify for for a for a successful season. But they do have young talent. They, they surprised a lot of people last season. So Tom, staying in the NFC East, Washington gets their first win on the road against the Giants. Giants drop the two and one. Cowboys win again over the Bears. They're two and one. I'm gonna po- pose this question to you. I know you're you're you know you're in the trenches here, but is the NFC East? I know we're early, but is it week three? Is it better than people thought going into the season as a division overall? We seem to have this conversation every year, where going into the season, the last five years at least, the NFC East is the worst division in football. The NFC East is not as good as we think it's going to be. We always de- the NFC East success depends on Tony Romo, his back, Eli Manning, his interceptions, and... The insider not just screwing everything up. Washington, yeah, Kirk Cousins is sealing. Well, last year left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths because Washington basically just coasted to the division at a 9-7. Like, they, they played it close to the vest. They won a couple big games to their credit. But they were... I don't want to bash them too much, but not the most impressive division champion I've ever seen last year. Oh, absolutely, and that proved itself, I think, in the first-round matchup with the Packers. Who were struggling and still came in there and put it on them. My big thing with this week is the Redskins weren't as awful as they played in the first two games. I don't know if that makes them good. But we kind of just 
you know, pumped up the tires a little bit of the Giants too much through two games. I, mean, I think they've done some good things with Ben Matthew in that offense. But you play a team, and there's always foils in sports. Styles just make fights in boxing, and you see that in other things. You play a team with a good secondary. They, you don't really have much of a running game. You put the ball more and more in Eli Manning's hands. I, I wasn't shocked that Washington won that game. It was, it was an upset, but not one that stunned me. Yeah, classically, they will lose games due to poor clock management and the ball being in Eli Manning's hands in the last couple of minutes of the game. And you can rattle him if, if, uh, if you, you get to him early and often. It was nice to see Washington pull out that win. Uh, the Eagles will now have a one-game lead in the division going into their bye week. Uh, Dallas with Dak Prescott, he seems to be managing the game well enough to win. I don't know. I haven't really watched them that intently. I'm not sure how their defense is performing. It's it's not as bad as people thought it would be, but it's probably on that mediocre range. But if you're not turning the ball over and Ezekiel it keeps improving each game, maybe that's good. Like we had the same talk about the Eagles. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's what exactly you need. They're moving in the right direction, but and it's still extremely early. When the weather gets cold, you really find out what you're made of. It's and definitely the most unpredictable division. I'd say that because I don't know when to four if I could fill it out any direction. The schedule shows that right. the division will be won as it is always won in weeks fourteen yeah. through seventeen because they play each other early in the season and then each. Division team kind of plays each other at the end of the season, and that's when division divisions are won by divisional matchups. And when you see a team twice a year, you know how to beat them. You know their tendencies. By by December, we're gonna we're gonna definitely know a lot more than we know now. Right, absolutely. There, Tom Weisenbach on the money Mitch effect, and we're gonna talk more NFL. Tom, two teams that are one and two surprisingly, two playoff teams from a year ago: the Cincinnati Bengals and the Arizona Cardinals. How alarming would you say each of those starts are, and is there one team in particular that you think might be, you know, we, we could be in a code red or code orange situation? That's tough to say. I know uh, Arizona ran into kind of a, a they, they played New England at home. Yeah, it, it was the without Brady, but Belichick had a week, had months to prepare, and um, Garoppolo looked pretty good. and That's a game they... Thing, I think they thought yeah. they should have won. Yeah, they, they, yeah absolutely. I but can't blame... We're not going to look at it as this mega upset if the Patriots win. That exactly. Way. I can't blame the Cardinals for a loss this week because they kind of ran into a buzzsaw. The Bills hire, fire their offensive coordinator. Playing They're for Rex's coaching life. And when teams are playing for yeah. their co- uh, a coach they like, a personable coach like Rex Ryan... They seem to put it all on the line. The other thing with that matchup was West Coast to East Coast early game. That I think had a big impact. Carson Palmer played wretched football. He did. Yesterday. I'm starting to worry. I had him in I, fantasy. I would. Yeah, I had him and in fantasy. Actually, well. pulled the game out. So hopefully, I uh, he gets I would a worry about him more than anything else in that team. They had two losses. They could they could be fine, but the offense relies so much on what he does. They have all these playmakers, but they re- they require him to spread the ball. To, even to David Johnson, he's a great running back, but what makes him so elite at running back is him catching passes out of the backfield. If Palmer is off, I think everybody's value diminishes, except for maybe Larry Fitzgerald, because he can just still find a way to catch some of those passes. But it puts their defense in a tough position, too. Yeah, with the NFL, it's all about staying healthy, and if they can adjust 
which I, they they both have great coaches. They both teams have great skill players uh, on paper. Uh, Cincinnati lost Marvin Jones, and we may have seen the birth of Marvin Jones in Detroit. Found a great offense this past week. Uh, yeah, found a great offense to be a number one option. But uh, with Cincinnati, are they missing Marvin Jones right now as AJ Green's number two? Yeah, I, 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 without can they have a yeah, running that, game with Jeremy Hill and, and Gio Bernard consistently? Fair point. Is the defense able to stop anybody consistently? And that's what people in Cincinnati Those are trying still, to figure out. There's not no such thing as a good loss or a moral victory, but they lost to the Steelers' division rivalry game. You've always got to expect that to be a close game. Uh, let's stay in that Cincinnati game, though, Tom, with uh, Denver. And the one thing I wanted to see, I was very impressed with their first two wins, how they navigated the Super Bowl. Everybody wants to get paid offseason that hits champions left and right. Commit that Trevor Simeon looks good in two games. But the one thing I wanted to see was him face adversity, face you know some, some tough times on the road. He did just that, threw for 300 yards, took his team back, four touchdowns, trailing in the fourth quarter. He pulls out a win. This was, I mean, I have no, I, right now at least, I have no further questions. <laughs> this is if I was cross-examining him, that's it. He's answered all my questions. Uh, Denver still has Demarius Thomas. Denver still has... Uh, Manuel Sanders. Sanders. Denver still has C.J. Anderson. And they have the best pass rush football scene in probably a decade. And <laughs> so, with that pass, yeah. uh, speaking of everybody gets paid, they lost a lot of people on that defense. That, that, and and that's I why was, that I had questions they about, still have that best pass rush. I had questions about the defense coming into the season. I think between <laughs> what they did to Cam Newton week one, that was over. That yeah. They're still the best defense in the league. Uh-huh. Uh, Trevor Simeon was a game manager for the first two weeks. Yeah. He showed that he can win a game for you if he trusts his playmakers. Yeah, and that's why I don't... The game manager tag is sometimes justly appropriate, but sometimes it's unfair. Simeon's starting to show me, at least, that he does what he's asked of. In the first two weeks, the defense was riding high, making big plays. He just wrote it out. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do anything stupid to cost us the game. But against Cincinnati... His defense got beat a little bit. The secondary gave up a couple pass plays, and suddenly it was on him, and he delivered. But John Elway, I mean, he's betting perfectly. If he was on the blackjack table, he'd be on a heater right now because how he picked and chose who he signed versus who he didn't sign, he's riding pretty high right now. It's the guy that signed Tim Tebow and let him take him to the promised land of winning a playoff game. <laughs> then then let him go. Out. Yeah, for a man who... If there's anybody that knows quarterbacks, it's John Elway and Gary Kubiak can speak with him about what they're looking for at the position. Apparently, he checked all the boxes. They took a look at Mark Sanchez. They have Paxton Lynch. People were wondering when they were going to see a little bit of Paxton Lynch this year already. (laughs) And now, yeah, let's pump the brakes. He can take a seat with uh, next to Jared Goff. In this rookie class and watch Carson Wentz throw the ball over the yard. And we have Brock Osweiler in Houston, the quarterback. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say that because Ryan Fitzpatrick against the Chiefs topped him. But before that, Osweiler's game against the Patriots might have been the worst quarterback game of the year. And L.A. just decided we're not going to give this guy $70 million. Went with first Sanchez, then Simeon. I mean, he's, you know. They'll pay the pass rushers. and, and Von Miller, Derek Wolf. He let Jackson go. But, I mean, it still works. He's getting great football out of DeMarcus, or he's gotten great football out of DeMarcus Ware. The secondary's tough, and Chris Harris is a guy that doesn't get enough respect either. So Him and Aqib Tlaib 
our best duo. Yeah. Some of the best, yeah, I, I would arguably the best too. duo in uh, in football right now. Denver's a problem, and, and they keep winning. Another team, Tom, that keeps winning as we switch conferences, the Minnesota Vikings. It's a team that I'm paying Look, very close attention to he, this year, he, as you are. Here's my, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Here's my stay staying point with this. In locker rooms, all over sports, at every level, everybody says that they're about next man up. That everybody says, oh yeah, if somebody, get, somebody goes down, next guy can come in, we're fine. And it's BS, like, about half the time, I'd say. The Vikings are living that right now. Quarterback goes down, running back goes down, injuries in the secondary, tough schedule. Who cares? They just keep winning. I mean, it's, it's pretty darn impressive to have a coach in Zimmer that just looks the media in the eye and says, we don't care. As long as we got 11 on each side of the ball, we're fine. That's a classic uh, team that would probably have the boring moniker, although yeah. boring teams win, <laughs> yeah. and boring teams Patriots, have good defenses. Spurs, you know, boring sports, teams have yeah. good defenses, and they have a running game. Yeah, uh, They picked up Sam Bradford, and this is the reason I'm paying close attention, because we have uh, the Eagles now have their first-round pick, the, uh, and a, a future fourth, I believe, which may uh, be a better draft pick depending on the Viking success. Right now they're 3-0. and If they win the Super Bowl, that becomes a second-round pick. I'm not saying they will, just saying that's what happens. Now, yeah. Mike Zimmer's a defensive coach. Mike Zimmer drafted to bolster the defense primarily. And they're as underrated as a defense as there is in the National Football and League. And they just opened the new stadium. They have a great stopgap franchise quarterback. I wanted to get your take on this because a lot of people were grilling the Vikings for what for trading for Bradford, and I know they gave up a lot, but the window was kind of short with Adrian Peterson. Now he's hurt, but I'm not gonna fully bash a team for trying to win. Now it may have been too much. It probably was a little too much, and I know as an Eagles fan, you like the haul for Bradford, especially with how Wentz is looking. But I can't fault the move itself that Minnesota made if that makes sense. Like, I get the thought behind it. Like, we need somebody that's just confident. Not great, but just confident, knows how to run a pro-style offense, and we don't want to wash away the season. Yeah. I know uh, you could be a little on I, the other side of this. It's cool, but I, I well, just... Well, I haven't watched a whole at. lot of the Vikings, and, and I, I know Bradford has played well, and Bradford, uh, a, a man, a guy who... Playing well, this uh, seven catches, seventy yards, and a touchdown this week. Tight end Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph is, I mean, Sam Bradford loves his tight ends. Sam Bradford uh, can get the ball to Stephon Diggs. Yeah. Uh, what need I say anymore? Diggs that has turned it into a star. Rudolph is good. Bradford spreading it out, and I think when you have a defense. Kind of like how Denver's is, that is going to control field position, is going to you know wear out the opposing offense. You can be more, I guess, conservative in nature. I don't think Bradford, I don't think he's ever played with a defense as good. He's never had a receiver as good as Stephon Diggs. This might be a new side of him, or maybe a side that he just couldn't show before by necessity. He always had to be slinging the ball around. I know Chip Kelly's offense probably didn't help there. You said it, not three. me. I was like, I didn't beat you to it. Um, yeah, I would agree with he's probably the best receiver. Uh, I'm not sure the defenses that he played, but uh, remember, this is his now second year after that second, what did he tear his ACL this past time? I can't yeah, keep track of St. Bradford's injuries. Uh, no, it would be three. This is his third year. He played 
Or no, it would be two years? Two years, yeah, I'm sorry. He only had the one year One year in, in, Philly, in Philly, one year in Minnesota. So this, I think he's just becoming a little more comfortable in his own skin right. being out on the field. He, this guy who, more times than not, when he's been on the field, has been either limped off or, you know, had to talk to a trainer on the sidelines in the locker room before the game ended. He is developing a little more confidence now in his ability, and I think the offensive line's given him a little time. He yeah. still has the deer-in-the-headlights look, and that's what he is. But I think for eight to ten games, if you, you know, you assume he's going to get hurt at some point, but for... If you keep him healthy, he can provide you uh, with serviceable quarterback duties, and especially if you have talent around him that he can get the ball to. Right. I mean, they're going to need a running game at some point to take the load off him in those colder winter months in Minnesota, um, on the road in the NFC North especially. But, I, you know, I think, you know, I just marvel what this team's doing. It's an attitude approach. I don't know how far they're going to go. I, I, they could. I mean, it's only three games. They could go on a massive losing streak, but at least – the outlook for Minnesota looks a lot better than anybody thought it would be three weeks ago, even a week ago. So, Tom Weisbach on the Money Mitch effect. Uh, real quickly, Tom, as we talk more NFL football, are you worried at all about what Carolina, how they've started? One and two now. The one win over San Francisco is a shaky game. They lose a game. In Minnesota, a lot of people had marked down as a win. Any problem? They've already, you know, lost two football games. Which is a lot in Carolina in the last two years. Yeah, they they lost two football games, but they're still the toast of the NFC South. Uh, that's the biggest thing. That division is going to be there for their for them. <laughs> and they have Cam Newton. If Cam Newton's healthy, the Carolina Panthers have a chance. They have Cam Newton and Luke Keekley. What I would consider, you know, some of the best offensive and defensive captains in the league. It's a good point. Aside from maybe like, I'm trying to think. I know Raiders fans are thinking that they, in a few years, will have the same thing in Khalil Mack and Derek Carr. They're, I mean, they're still, they're still having fun. They're still, yeah. They have the ability to come out and play, but I'm not worried about them one bit. There's a whole lot of average in that division. I don't see any other team that can uh, right. take their crown. And once a team like the Panthers gets into the playoffs. And games start meaning something. They play teams like the Seahawks, where they developed a rivalry with. That's going to be a, a big test if they end up matching up in the playoffs. The Cardinals, same thing. The perennial NFC playoff teams, are. that's going to be a battle. Those are fun. That's why we watch football. But I think they're going to have no problem getting to the playoffs in the NFC South. Ten wins will be enough to win that division, and I can't really see anybody else getting the ten of the other three teams. The one question I have is I want to see their secondary. If their goal is obviously Super Bowl, let's see their secondary against a good passing offense without Norman with some new faces in there. But I think, yeah, it's a little premature. Again, Minnesota looks good. Denver looks good. They're not losing. There's not a bad loss on their resume. It's basically, if you want to handicap it, Minnesota and the Packers, the Giants and the Eagles, Maybe the Cowboys if they figure it out, but you know that's yeah. a train wreck. It's it's open in the uh, in the NFC and yeah, the Packers. I mean every the Cardinals year, and the Seahawks in how, the West. How ridiculous is it, Tom, that every year going into Week Three, we're freaking out? The media is freaking out about Aaron Rodgers every year. <laughs> I had somebody at my work tell me, "Oh, it looks like he's lost a step." I'm like, "Are you watching the same game?" Him and Russell Wilson. I know the, Russell just got uh, oh, banged Russell's up, running for his life on the worst offensive but, line in football, and the, still making plays. And Rodgers had a mediocre game against the top five, maybe the number one defense in the league, yeah. one or two. 
They still they <laughs> still wrong. refuse to get the ball to Eddie Lacy, just, much to my fantasy chagrin. But maybe he hasn't lost as much weight as we thought. I think he's still I think Could he's be. a beast yeah. this season, and they just refuse to use him because their passing game is arrogant. That that's based that's my that's a good way to put it. Arrogant. They they let Detroit get back in that game last week or this past week on Sunday yesterday. Can I call it yesterday? Call it yesterday. We I've noticed I was watching it closely because Eddie Lacy is my fantasy running back, but and this wasn't on the rundown, but I have to say it. Go for it. One. Zero yard rush causes them to abandon it for the entire series. They let Detroit get back in the game down two touchdowns because they refused to run the ball with six minutes to go in the game. I know Eddie finally got to 100 and it all ended up well, but that's going to bite them at some point if they can't complete, if somebody can corral Jordy Nelson. I know Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers and it might not matter, but. That's just my opinion that they need to. They, they lost the game to the Vikings because they refused I to run the ball. That's why they're a terrible matchup against like Seattle every year. Just finds a way to play well with them. Yeah, you slow down. You you knock the passing game off just a ton. McCarthy is just he's so pass heavy. It's it's kind of ridiculous at the point. It seems arrogant because they're Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Are they the college team that just can't stop throwing? The Big Twelve team that just can't stop throwing in, in the fourth quarter. I mean. I don't know. I, I, that's a good point, though. But, yeah, what, people just need to, back to the original point, need to always just pump the brakes on R-E-L-A-X. That was yeah. two years ago. Yeah. It's, it's appropriate every year. I noticed one team you didn't have, Tom, uh, as we move along here on the Money Mitch Effect with Tom Weisenbach uh, in the NFC. It was the LA Rams, 2-1. Are they, they pretenders flying, flying the LA flag? Or... Oh! <laughs> uh, it's, you know, they're, they're, I think this is just... Classic Rams. They're going to be about eight and eight this year. Yeah, they, we, we. If anything, we. It got to a point where we underrated them. We thought they'd be just a train wreck. When they're not that bad, but they're not good enough to make the playoffs. They're right in that middle range. Yeah, I think they they're get a little juice from playing in front of LA fans. Like they beat Seattle. I know they always beat Seattle. It's but. The worst game to watch. If you ever, if you want to pick one football game, just not to watch or two. I guess Rams Seahawks. Of just a beat, beat up, knock them down. Ball. Defense versus defense. But no, I, I agree. They have some juice. I, that game last week, though, proved to me, Tom, more about Tampa Bay. Everybody's pencil them in as this darling team, kind of like the Raiders in the AFC. When the defense. <laughs> the Jaguars also. The Jaguars before they got, decided to yeah. become the Jaguars again. And Blake Bortles is a garbage time quarterback. And I mean mm-hmm. that with the best respect. Uh, if you want him to produce stats, just wait till they're down 28 points. Luck's becoming a garbage time quarterback, oh, that, too. That's, another, that's for another podcast. Another but no, I, I think with the with the Bucks and the Raiders, the defenses aren't good. you got to beat the teams you're supposed to. I know they're this trendy playoff pick, but I don't know. I, I don't see the Bucks doing much. I think the Rams are, are a Jeff Fisher coach team is going to beat who he should and probably lose to who he should. And you saw that again on Sunday. It's, or... Lose to who you're not supposed to lose yeah. to. It'll even out. One way, yeah, I might have said that wrong, but it'll even out. Uh, if they'll yeah. lose to the Cardinals this week, probably. They'll be right back at 500, and there you go. Okay, so now I want to devote this part of the Money Mitch Effect with Tom Weisenbach to the team I grew up rooting for, sadly, the Cleveland Browns. Miami Dolphins, Tom, that was like, I mean, it, it, I, don't, I don't like crowning games the toilet bowl or just awful football. But you You've could have watched five minutes of any part of that game, and that would have been accurate. 
the start of the game when it was turnover, turnover, back-to-back, all the missed field goals. Thanks for Cody Parkey, by the way. Uh, There's a reason we cut him. Yeah, he blew up both his groins and then he got signed on uh, for a Friday. All the injuries and everything, but look, I, I fully expect us to lose a lot of football games this week, and even with Cody Kessler as a third-string quarterback playing all right, but again getting beaten up by a terrible offensive line, and the positives that Terrell Pryor showed, but here's my biggest beef with that game. They recover a fumble from a strip sack Tannehill, get the ball on the Miami 27 with 20 seconds left and no timeouts and proceed to just center the ball and try a 45-yard field goal with a kicker they just signed who missed two on the day. I mean, is that... I don't don't want to say Hugh Jackson's a moron or just made a dumb decision, but I really question why they went so conservative, which a 45-yard field goal is not a guarantee for any, even the best kickers in football. It's a high probability. The extra but not points even 30 yards. The extra points 30 yards. Yeah. It should be automatic for an NFL kicker. Fair enough. But are you, they didn't try to gain any yard. 20 seconds is enough time. For one try, for one play to be stopped in bounds, a spike on first down. Twenty seconds could make a forty-five yard field goal, a twenty-five yard field goal. I would agree with easy. You run up to the line. Even even I would have been. Do they happy. have any timeouts? No timeouts. I would have been happy. You know what? <laughs> this is how pathetic my uh, my standards have gotten with this football team. I would have been happy with a running play, just an off tackle. Lee Walker try to just move the ball forward. They literally just centered the football. I think. They should have made Terrell Pryor their quarterback for this week. Is that, here, is that here, here's over, the the, over the top? No, or I didn't really. Not necessarily. Here's the counterpoint. With Coleman out, they have no other receivers. So he can't play both. He can throw it, himself, throw it to himself. Can he? Puck pass and kick. Um, he is the uh, a Buckeye for life, isn't he's he? He's perfect for that team because he's just good enough for a, a little bit of everything, but not ultimately good enough is he for a guy, game. Is he a guy who will eventually... Uh, be tired of playing for the Browns and, and leave Ohio like LeBron. He'll go. Yeah, Not that he's as good He'll as LeBron. He'll go and get paid and be a bust on his next team, probably. He'll get overpaid by a team not not New England, not smart like that. What, what modern-day player would you, uh, what active player would you uh, equate him to? It's tough to compare. Okay, uh, from the from the impact side of things, he's the guy that I would cons- compare a lot to Mike Wallace. Now, I know Mike Wallace isn't like the the same position at all. How they play the receiver position, but Wallace is good at one thing, just running deep, burning people. He left, left the right wrong system. Thought he could play anywhere. Flamed out at two teams. Finally got a deep ball quarterback, and he's okay again. But was never as good as everyone thought he was. It's funny because I was talking to my dad about this prior. Has terrible route running skills. Can't is not that fast. Can't get separation, but is one of the best leaping receivers in football. That's his bread and butter. Jump ball. How is that a sustainable number one threat? I don't know, but it's something. And that's the sad thing. You just gotta be happy Mike, with something. Is that kind of what Mike Evans does? Is the jump ball specialty similar? Yeah, no, that's, that's and fair. And Mike might be taller and better I don't know. route runner. Pryor's got a little height on him. I don't know. That's a close one. They're um, about the same. But no, that's they have no other playmakers. And uh, Travis Benjamin came to mind, but he's a speed guy. He's on the Chargers now. Yeah, and he has one route, a lot like Mike Wallace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, it, it was another depressing day in uh, in Cleveland, but hey. Will you win a game there? this season? 
Will I'm going to say yes, because I'm going to say 2 and 14. I'm optimistic. I'm feeling pretty good today. I think 2 and 14. I'm not going to tell you which two, though. Well, I, well let's say, let's say, I'll say they could beat Baltimore on the road. That, that team doesn't, they're 3-0, but they, they're beating teams with a combined one win. Do you own your first-round pick this season? We do. And we you own, we own Philadelphia. Another teams, yes. So that's why you are paying close attention to Philadelphia's success, right? And I am paying close attention to Minnesota's success. I, I don't success. hate the Eagles. I've rooted for them this week, but it wouldn't hurt me if they went on a nice little losing exactly. streak in the middle of the season. Now, are you in the camp of we should not have traded that away and we should have picked uh, Carson Wentz, or were you okay with Robert Griffin the third and see where that goes? Cody Kessler, okay. I, I feel we can, like it's a USC quarterback. We know a, what USC. That, I didn't like that are. pick, the, the third pick. The How are you going to trade? I, I feel like it's a little bit of a cop out, but I would have liked Wentz. I thought he was good. I, I wasn't a fan of that move. But what does Wentz do in Cleveland with no options? A line that just sucks. Like he might be hurt right now, and and I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I'm. I, I, it's easy to say yeah, that he would, say that I would be, do it, but be this Eagles Carson Wentz on the Browns. What does Tom Brady do behind that line? What you know? What does Cam do? I, I don't know. It's fun to trade quarterbacks that way, and that's why Madden is invented. Yeah, but. there you go. Well, we're gonna wrap up this interview, Tom Weisenbach here with uh, on the Money Mitch Effect with some football thoughts for Week Four. I know it's early, but it's never it's never early enough to uh, discuss our picks for the week. So. If you had to pick, we're going to do a new a new little game segment here on uh, the Money Mitch Effect where we're going to pick three games. The lock of the week, the game that should be closer than everybody thinks, and the upset of the week. I'll lead us off here. I'm going to go with my lock, Bengals over Dolphins. That I can go with that. That's, That's my I lock. I can uh, concur with you on that. I'll go with Carolina over Atlanta. They're actually a three-point underdog. It's in Atlanta. But okay. I think Carolina, well, sure, yeah. Carolina. what did they lose this past week, or did they just barely pull it out against 49ers? My brain is mush at this point in the day. They, uh, Carolina lost to the Vikings last week. Atlanta's playing right now as we record this against the Saints. But, I, you know, yeah, a divisional game came on to Falcons. Matt Ryan can always pull a rabbit out of his hat, but I, I, almost, think, I almost went Vikings over Giants for my lock. That would have been my second choice. Not a bad choice. Because that's an Eli Pickfest waiting to happen in Minnesota on prime time. And Minnesota can prove again on national television that they Just are for real. The only thing I question, though, is the secondary's been a little banged up. You got Terrence Newman, who's like 38, you know, 48 years old. <laughs> I don't know. Beckham could go off that game. But Manning could go crazy. My game closer than people think. If you look at the line right now on... Pittsburgh and Kansas City, Tom. Pittsburgh is a pretty good favorite. I think that's at about six points right now in Pittsburgh. I know they're coming off a loss. They're getting Bell back. But the Kansas City defense is pretty good. I think that game is going to be close. I'm actually leaning Pittsburgh, but a very close game. I don't think that's that. I think that line's very high given what Kansas City defense has been able to do. That's a fair statement. I think uh, the close game is Dallas-San Francisco. Now, we know that Chip Kelly can beat the Cowboys. He did it on Thanksgiving. He knows their tendencies the past few years. It's his first year in San Francisco. I think that he can exploit some of their weaknesses and keep it at least closer. That that line's right now at 10, I believe. 
Yeah. Um, but San Francisco is... Hey, that's high. I mean, favorite? No, right now, it was 10. It's already moved down to about 3 or 4. But still, I mean... I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be opposed to that. There's been some movement on this line, but I think that's a good one because I think that's going to blossom up. Dallas is going to get more. People are believing in Dak, and I think maybe that could be an upset. Right. It. Maybe I can double down and, and make it my upset <laughs> pick and, and go San Francisco over Dallas. Um, otherwise, I would think that Los Angeles has a chance to beat Arizona as my to Ooh. step over to upset? potential upset. If the defense can get to Carson Palmer and Carson Palmer still kind of has the yips, he can get into those games where he doesn't perform as well. John Brown, as we we kind of we didn't talk about uh, John Brown at all during our Cardinals talk, but he's he hasn't done anything this season. He's he's been able to be corralled. Larry Fitzgerald is kind of being figured out in the slot. He can take over a game, but it, David Johnson is seems to be the only consistency in their offense right now. Okay, that's fair enough. And, and my upset pick, I'm going to go Saints on the road, four-point underdogs to the Chargers. How are the Chargers favored by more than a field goal for anybody How are the Chargers in the NFL? And look, it's in San Diego, which is basically a road game for San Diego. Saints actually have a good fan base, and that's my big point in Jacksonville. What I think happened was... Jacksonville Jaguar fans are just don't come out in droves like every other team, just about. I think it's going to be a lot of Saints fans in San Diego at Qualcomm. One of the, I like the Charger fan base, but it's an awful stadium. I think we have to admit that. And uh, I like the Saints there, regardless of what happens tonight. I, ho- I actually hope they lose tonight and go into their even bigger underdog. And that's uh, how I'm wrap it up. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's a pretty good beat on what we're going to be facing week four with... A pretty terrible slate of games. If there is ever a time to go apple picking with your girlfriend, this week would be the week, especially because for me it's an Eagles bye week. Oh, Therefore, yeah. Well, there you go. You can usually, get all your Sunday chores done. Weddings and family parties are, uh, I'm sure, with Cleveland as well, are scheduled around the bye yeah. week. Yeah, or, or like December in Cleveland is another good time to this get This is like, true early January. You know, early January, it's wide open. All right, Tom, that's going to do it for uh, this interview. Thanks for coming on, man. That was fun. Uh, yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for always uh, always available, reaching out, and happy to be on the Money Mitch podcast. All right, glad to chop it up with Tom. He's obviously a pristine football mind. Glad we could share our thoughts on the early part of the NFL season on this edition of the Money Mitch Effect. All right, next up we have Brandon Marcus. He's going to come in and talk baseball. This conversation got a little bit, uh, you know, dramatic. Uh, we, we touched on uh, the tragic passing of Jose Fernandez and Vince Scully's goodbye to the broadcast booth after 67 years, but we kept it light at parts, talking about the MLB playoff picture, what each AL and NL race looks like, as well as our MVP picks and other awards as the 2016 season dwindles down. Here now is an interview with Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch Effect. I've got Brandon Marcus here, first time on the show. Brandon, thanks for coming by as we get to the tail end of baseball season. Hey, it's good to be here. I like the name, by the way, Money Mitch Effect. You know, it, it was uh, it was an evolution of things. I've had that nickname in and out of uh, my whole life. I'm, I'm getting more and more into the it's a growing podcast, so I'm glad you could 
stop by and uh you know we, we worked together in nfl and we did sports was like 98 of the dialogue i think yeah 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 it's like pretty like much lunch in there or something yeah the only time i think it wouldn't be uh sports related is a night like tonight since we're recording during the uh debate season yeah, tonight we, right i mean tonight's the debate yeah we don't have the uh political platform yet no but no. We'll, we'll try stick to stick to evolve. sports it's, it's better yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do that uh yeah, it's, uh, well, as long as we have sports, you know, I don't know what, what's going to happen in a year, so let's enjoy, uh, let's enjoy sports. On a, uh, on a somber note, this is actually a really laid-back podcast, and, yeah. you know, but we got to get serious for a little bit, and I want to get your thoughts on Jose Fernandez, you know, he was, you know, his life tragically cut short at the age of 24 in the boating accident, uh, I'm sure many of you out there have heard that, but Brandon, for me, I'm a baseball fan. But it lags b- behind the other main sports. With Fernandez, I gravitated towards him, not anywhere near a Marlins fan, because of how much I saw him love the game with the enthusiasm that he played. So when something like this happens, it's always tragic. But for me personally, just from my experiences, when you see someone with that much joy of life cut short, you know that's when it cuts through the heart the most. Um, I know I was pretty pretty shaken by it, as I'm sure you were and a lot of people were, but. This is a tragic loss for, for baseball and, and sports in general. No, you're right. And you, you said it pretty well there. I woke up yesterday and had 19 text messages. I was like, what is going on? And it's guys from my fantasy baseball league going back and forth. My brother had texted me. Mm-hmm. A couple of my best friends had texted me. And they were the ones that broke the news to me. And it's one of those things that shocks you. I mean, we, we saw it a couple of years ago with Oscar Tavares with the Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. When that happened, he was a young, hot prospect for the Cardinals. We were anticipating big things for him. And it's a young life that's cut short. And you mentioned sports and baseball and how it lags behind. And what's interesting and what we've seen the last couple of days is how baseball may be that slower sport, but it's one of those sports that delivers such good storylines and true. some things that happened after Jose Fernandez had passed away. But focusing on just Jose Fernandez, can you imagine being his family and his parents? I mean, I watched a video that MLB put together. It was about six minutes when he surprised his grandma or his grandmother surprised him. And then he had no idea his grandma was coming. She had come from Cuba and surprised him. They went to the mound together, threw a pitch together. And those people that are alive are now without him. Right. And so I had a tear come to my eye when I thought about, can you imagine your parents not having you there? Yeah, it's um, it, it's pretty sad to think about. And to get back on the, on the sports side for just a brief moment, he was, without question, you know, one of the good guys. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the older we get, we both get. You know, we see that that's not how sports, you know, works all the time, unfortunately. I wasn't a good enough athlete to make it to the highest level, but I was good enough to be in the same circles with some guys that did make it. So I saw firsthand how talent does not equate to being a good guy and vice versa. But there wasn't a person that had a bad thing to say about him. He means the world to Cuban-American baseball players, but it goes beyond that. I mean, Carlos Martinez is in Cuba, and David Ortiz, these guys were some of his best friends. Because everyone just liked to be around him. I mean, what I'll remember, and I don't want to, you know, mimic uh, Don Mattingly's speech, which was awesome, by the way, yeah. how he shared his emotions. But 
play with Tua Whiskey, did you catch it? He's laughing, he's smiling, like he just, he enjoyed playing. And that goes further than any win-loss record in the area, which was also great for him. But I, I that locker room, man, that's what I feel. I mean, obviously his family is first and foremost, but yeah. the locker room, like, I, you're one of your teammates, one of your brothers is gone. Like, you went to sleep, and now he's not there anymore, and it wasn't somebody that was sick. It was just a tragic accident. And it's the guy that had his start pushed back. I mean, yeah. he was supposed to start yesterday, today being Monday. He's supposed to start on Sunday, has a start push to Monday, goes out Sunday morning, I believe it was, and passes away. It's just, it's so sad. And you talk about him as a player, and there's such a good photo put out where it's a scrum at home plate, and he's turned around just smiling down the third base line. Yeah. He's the only one that's there just smiling. And he goes nuts in the dugout after home runs. Giancarlo Stanton hits a home run. He's going crazy. And people are right. Live your life the way he did. Yeah, Enjoy. You'll never... Uh, and it's it's always a shame when somebody passes tragically. But I really believe he was a Hall of Famer. In the he, he was good. I mean, you look at him. He was on his way to being the best pitcher maybe in baseball. And I'll say, when he was 21, yeah, I didn't follow his journey to the bigs. But... I remember when he had probably the best rookie campaign for a home starting pitcher they'd ever seen, where he just was going lights out. Had the Tommy John surgery two years ago, came back better than ever. It, you know, it's it's tough to, you know, quantify his stats what they would have been over time. But how could you not expect just greatness from him? No, and I remember when he made the rotation. And everyone's like, "What's who's this kid? He's only been in single A. He skipped double A and he skipped triple A. Remember that? He didn't pitch above single A before pitching in the majors. And you talk about his numbers. 76 starts, ERA of 258 in his career, whip of 105, struck out 589. Not even near his prime either, which is... In just over 471 innings. And you talk about... How much he was loved at home. How about how well he pitched at home? 29 and 2 record at home, 17 and 0 prior to this that, year. That's what I mean. Like, I don't know that there's been a pitcher. We'd have to really turn back the history books. I'm sure they're some of the all time greats have been in that discussion, but yeah. he's right there as a home starting pitcher in that run. With and he's undefeated. Yeah, I mean, he was I undefeated. I know. He it's... didn't lose prior to this year. Wow, yeah. It was, uh, it was a tragic day in baseball, but I mean, you, you look at what happened tonight. The great tribute, D. Gordon awesome. home run on the first at bat. Yeah, you couldn't you know, watch that D. Gordon yeah. home run and not feel yeah. everything. I mean, feel every are, sort of emotion. It's tough. You spend your whole season, you know, 162 games, yeah, six games week minimum, practice on the road, and then something like this happens. But, but can you imagine that for yeah. D. Four for four, and he hits a home run. He goes into the batter's box. From the right side yeah. to honor first him, here, right? first pitch, and then he goes over on the third pitch of the game, he hits a home run. Wow, that's chilling. And just crying around the bases. But you're right about baseball producing the best storylines. And I will say, postseason baseball is as dramatic as it gets. There isn't that NBA, NHL, well, I wouldn't say as much NHL, but NBA feel of the first round, we can kind of just ease into the, the high drama right. moments with baseball. So we'll uh, we'll move on a little bit right now. I mean, we always we obviously want to just you know share our deepest 
sympathies and condolences, Jose Fernandez. Do your fit. Do yourself a favor if you're listening to this and you haven't gone on MLB.com and seen some of the stuff that we're talking about. Watch the tribute prior to today's game. Watch D. Gordon's home run. Watch Don Mattingly from yesterday. There's just a lot of good stuff that has come from it, and just good things to watch to help you remember Jose Fernandez in a happy light. Let's switch to a much lighter note. Brandon, in the city of Los Angeles, the Dodgers clinch the division again. They beat the Rockies. Giants collapse again to the Padres. And in Vince Scully's last game, who we'll get to later on in the show, at home, the Dodgers clinch the division. Let's start first with the Dodgers. Now, Brandon, you know living in this town, I know you, you're an Angels fan by trade, but the Dodgers win the division again, that's great. But obviously, this is as low as it gets on their goals right now. What can they take away from winning the division in the fashion they've done coming on late to propel them into the playoffs? You talk about how they did it. How about eight games back or so of the Giants, Clayton Kershaw gets hurt, Everyone immediately says it's over. Dodgers have no chance. It's all the Giants. Giants division. It's all theirs. How are the Dodgers even going to find wins? I mean, you saw what the rotation was doing prior to Kershaw getting hurt. And it wasn't a whole lot. Kershaw was carrying that rotation. But everyone stepped up in such a big way. Maeda was huge. They acquired Hill at the deadline. Scratched probably about four times before he finally made his first start for the Dodgers. He's been great. Brett Anderson goes out there, Scott Casimir, Brandon McCarthy, Ross Stripling is the guy that comes out, Jose DeLeon, they call up Urias, and he's great. Everyone comes and they pinch hit for Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, I, that that overcoming adversity is what my biggest takeaway as well, when your ace goes down, when you're behind, and it's easy to just mail in at least the division race, but they overcame it in emphatic fashion. I mean, it wasn't even close. They're up eight, eight games on the division right now with some time to go. But the other thing, too, I want your thoughts on this. I think I owe Dave Roberts a little bit of an apology, at least for right now. Mm-hmm. At the very least, he's improving a lot faster than a lot of us thought he would. He had his struggles early like any new manager does. But I think his command of the starting pitchers managing the Kershaw situation, and you mentioned players that were scratched, had to earn their way into the lineup. I think he's pushing the right buttons, and I think, as of right now, you know, he has been a little bit of an upgrade over Mattingly in L.A., at least. He has been, but the thing with Mattingly is that he struggled late. Yeah. And we saw in late-game situations that he didn't know exactly what he was doing with his bullpen. He struggled with the whole which pinch hitter should he bring in. Roberts has done a better job of that, but let's... Hold our horses a bit on Dave Roberts. Because remember, we destroyed Mattingly for the postseason. Yeah. Roberts hasn't gotten there yet. And he's still dealing with Joe Blanton as his setup man right now. So we'll see exactly what happens (laughs) when the Dodgers get into the postseason and start playing against the Nationals or playing against the Cubs. And when they have to go to the bullpen and they're facing a Bryant Rizzo Zobrist against the bullpen. Nationals are interesting to me because, a lot like the Roberts Mattingly thing, Matt Williams, one manager of the year, and then botched a couple of key playoff situations. He's out. I see a lot of parallels between these two teams, and I also see where the Dodgers are going to be tested. Can their bullpen live up to it against the Nationals lineup? 
And today, Wilson Ramos got hurt. So that's huge for the Nationals. So if Ramos ends up being out, because apparently it's the knee that he had the torn ACL and MCL from, that's going to be a problem. Have you noticed a lot more injuries this year going into the playoff teams? A lot of catchers, too, you're seeing get hurt. And you talk about the Nationals. Boy, they're going to be missing Steven Strasburg if he doesn't make it back. And there has been no indication that he will be back. Because you look at the Dodgers rotation and you say, what do they do after Kershaw and Maeda? Well, they have Rich Hill. So they've got three guys. The Nationals have Scherzer. And then Gio Gonzalez, can you rely on him? Tanner Roark, can you rely on him? I just don't know what the Nationals have. And I think it'll be up to the offenses. Because you know somehow in the playoffs, it doesn't matter who's on the mound. They're going to give up two runs or less. Whether it's Marcus Stroman for the Blue Jays, who has had a really rough year, I could see Gio Gonzalez going out there seven scoreless, striking out eight, allowing one run. My biggest concern, I guess, with the Dodgers would be, I don't, I don't think it matters where this, who has home field. The Dodgers are going to be feeling the brunt of the pressure going into mm-hmm. the series. You can't have this many you know, one-and-dones without having that being said. But the other side of it, you've got to look at the Cubs and what they've done. It's been scary, it's been stupid, but the way they've positioned themselves, I don't know that we've seen a legitimate challenger yet. You always know the playoffs, somebody could emerge, but right now, more than any other time I can remember, the biggest gap between one and who that next best team is in a, in a pennant race. No, you're right, and I think there are two teams that could have. Now I think there's one, and that'll come in the World Series of the Red Sox okay. get there. Yeah. But in the NL... If you were to have Harvey healthy, have Syndergaard completely healthy, That's true. Steven Matz, it, I yeah. think the Mets would be a major force. I mean, they're piecing together the bullpen right now. They're piecing together the rotation with duct tape. It's been remarkable that they're making this run, yeah. given all the injuries. They have, looking at it, the, the lowest batting average per team of any Oh, their offense has been terrible. You know, bottom five in baseball. Can you imagine if they didn't re-sign Cespedes? Yeah, and that was very a very realistic possibility. The thing helping them is that the other two teams are just trying to give away that last spot. You have the Cardinals that I haven't they haven't looked this poor in a very long time. Un, uncharacteristic. They've always been known as a smart team. But Rosenthal is actually coming back, and he's been pretty good. And you talk about all three teams, and you got to look at the schedule, right? Mets have Miami and Philly. Giants have Colorado and the Dodgers. How much are the Dodgers going to have to play for at that point? Well, you got keeping the rival out of the playoffs. Right. And maybe home field. Uh, that, that's a tricky one, though. I could see them laying down as well. And then Cardinals versus the Reds and versus the Pirates. And the Pirates have been awful. They might be the most disappointing team this year. Yeah. Depending on... The thing with the Giants that gets me, Brandon, as we continue on on the Money Mitch effect, how many saves have they blown this year? 30-plus? Like We've gotten to I a think, point I think where... they're at 29 is what they I heard last, or maybe over that. It's unbelievable. That's that's the difference. Obviously, blown saves happen, so you can't just pencil in 29. But that's the difference between the second-best team and and the NL and probably in baseball. That's the difference (laughs) in you getting to the division and winning it. I mean, it's unbelievable. You you look at what Cassia did. He got removed. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. Finally, they're like, all right, Hunter Strickland's been great. Hunter Strickland comes in and gives up three or four runs in a – Outing, it's like, what are you doing? Is there a more mental position in sports no. than closer? No. I, the only ones I could think of. Well, it's one inning, the game is on your line. 
I mean, game's on the line. It's one inning yeah, in it's... your hands. And Sergio Romo, finally they found a guy. I mean, Romo's been great since taking over the last week or so. I'm, I'm disappointed in Bochi. I've always been a fan of him. It, I shouldn't say disappointed. He's a great manager. He's done a lot winning three titles, but it hasn't been his best year. I think we can kind of agree that some of the, the decision-making has been a little suspect. Yeah, he's gotten some help from the deadline, and it's interesting. I was listening to John Miller talk, and you looked at what the Giants were doing, and they had that huge lead, and they were doing that without Hunter Pence. They were doing it without their starting second baseman. They were doing it without their starting third baseman. Do you think complacency kind of set in when they got up? They thought they could just put it on cruise. And then they have these guys come back, and they end up doing worse. Yeah. Which is such a surprise, because if you remember last year, their record with Pence in the lineup was so much better than with him out of the lineup. And then they struggled. Yeah, that's a big... That's going to be huge. Who gets that last spot? But the thing is, in the NL at least, you always talk about the wildcard team being dangerous. Yeah. A lot of times they have momentum. Who has momentum going in? Maybe the Mets, but like you said, patchwork bullpen and on fumes. A car just trying to get to the junkyard. Basically. Still don't want to face the Giants. Yeah, that's, that's one of those teams. Superstition, yeah. First of all, it's an even year. And they have the pitching to do it. Whether it's Bumgarner, We've seen Bumgarner just strap San Francisco on his back. And, and, just and now he's got some help. Run. He's got Cueto. He has Zamarja. He has Matt Moore. He's got some guys to help him out. Cubs are going to be tough, though. I don't know. I mean, I know that's great. No one's beating the Cubs. Well, let's switch to the American League now on the Money Mitch Effect with Brandon Marcus talking MLB playoffs. You mentioned, Brandon, there was one team that you think could beat the Cubs, being the Boston Red Sox. I'm going to lead off with this question. Why is David Ortiz retiring? <laughs> I have that. It's funny. I, if you follow me on Twitter and follow you on Twitter, I mean, Twitter's obviously where to be now. I sent out a tweet a couple days ago when Ortiz was just killing it. And I said, why is this guy retiring? And I had a Red Sox fan who ended up texting me and saying he, he can barely walk. Uh, the stuff that he does to get, to get ready. ready for the game, it's unbelievable. It's Boston. That reminds me of the Larry Bird stories about how his last years he could barely oh, his walk. Back. And his back was unbelievably bad. That's true. No, that's a good point. And I get it. There's a time to walk away. And like we've seen with athletes, like we've seen with maybe, I'm drawing a parallel here, but television shows. You go out on top. You don't need to sink, right? You're not sinking. Your last memory is great, and that's what he'll have if he does, in fact, retire. This team is lethal, man. And the one one question I had going into the stretch run was pitching. It's been good enough with their offense. With Rick Porcello, that's that's incredible. That that, talk about baseball storylines. Twenty-two and four record. Are you kidding me right now? Who would have thought? Going into this year, what would we have set the over-under at wins for him? Porcello, probably 13. I was going to say like 14. Yeah. Incredible. And he's... And he's doing it with a good ERA. It's not one of those things where he's getting help with the wins, because some people say wins isn't a great category, and I I tend to agree. It's quality starts that's really big. But to have 22 wins and an ERA at 3-1-1, your top three in the AL? Yeah, I... Man, what he's been able to do has been nothing short of phenomenal. Betts is the guy, though, that I keep circling back to. Does he get out? Ever? We'll get to our awards picks a little later in the show, but... Yeah, I'm right there with you. The leap. It's one thing to say, this player's good. You can go to any sport. This player's good. He'll be a little better next year, and so on and so on. 
I don't know many people, if anyone, that thought he'd be this good this soon. No, we knew he'd be good, but this not soon, the numbers yeah. he's putting it, it's, up. It's staggering how... And what he means to that offense. He, you could put him anywhere in the order. The leadoff, the leadoff cleanup combo is... Uh, I would I would lead with that if I'm my MVP candidacy. I could play and I could bet anywhere in the lineup and you won't notice a difference. No, and I'll still produce wherever I am. You want me to score runs? You want me to steal bases? Fine. You want me to hit home runs? I'll do that as well. You want me to play a great center field? Sure. So do you think Boston gets the division and the top seed? You ready to book that? The division looks pretty good. Yeah. The top seed though, yeah, I would be hard pressed to go against Boston getting the top spot, coming in hot. I'm going to be be personally uh, honest, though, and I don't like the Red Sox at all. As an Indians fan, I really want them to win the division. They frightened me before they caught the Rangers. They frightened me when they were in a wild card spot. And if they don't catch the Rangers, it's going to be Indians-Red Sox first round death match. Uh, We'll talk about those. I think you're in trouble anyways. Yeah, well, let's just do this now. We'll, we'll get this out of the way. <laughs> let's get it out of the let's way. Let's just get this out of the way so we can get the elephant in the room out. I'm an Indians fan. You're wearing an Indian shirt. I'm wearing, right? I'm wearing an Indian shirt. It's, it was only like 100 degrees in LA today. So, it's warm. So I was, you know, I was feeling the white shirt today. I was very excited with how the Indians played all summer. The injuries have been brutal. The pitching, the strong part, has been decimated. Doesn't look like Brantley is going to be a factor. But to me... It all comes down to, if we don't have that pitching advantage, I worry how we're going to do in good teams that can hit in a best-of-five, best-of-seven series. You can look at what the Indians have done, Brandon, against good teams recently, and I hope I'm dead wrong, but it's been bad, and I don't have a good feeling about them playing teams other than the White Sox and the Twins in the playoffs. Yeah, I think you're in trouble. And it's not your team's fault for performance. It's like you said, it's the injuries. Carlos Carrasco has a line drive, come back, hit him in the hand. He's done brutal. He was tremendous. Corey Kluber left today's game with a groin injury. How long's he going to be out? How much can you suffer? Salazar has been hurt like three or four one, times Kluber's this year. Kluber's the one, man. And that's, that's brutal. If Kluber goes out, quality starts. Last year, when lost for ERA, was just staggering for that guy. He had the, he had the least amount of support for any race. That... He can go, Bauer can go on short rest. Bauer's been disappointing since the break. Yeah, and Tomlin. He was great in the first half and then struggled now. He's great as a four or five option now. He's the three. Carrasco Salazar. I like Lindor. He's the most exciting Indian since, well, I'd I'd go a good five, six years since I've been as excited about a young Indian than Lindor. He's been good. And listen, Santana at the top of the order is hitting home runs. You think Tito can steal some games in the playoffs? I don't think so. Yeah. If you somehow have a lead after six innings, no. Uh, Andrew Miller has not been great of late, but Miller can go two, Allen can go one. You guys can have yourself a win. I still get that negative feeling when the Indians play that I've had the last ten years, where if a team gets the three, I'm not feeling good. Bring, <laughs> bring in Vaughn. Three or four. Bring yeah, in Vaughn. Vaughn. Well, I mean, Harris was my, the most underrated. That guy was throwing Vaseline balls well into the ninth. Oh, he went nine innings in the in Major League. Right? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Willie Mays Hayes. Willie Mays Hayes. Uh, gosh. Well, anyway, I, that, so that brought the morale up about my Indians. Uh, <laughs> We'll talk briefly about that wild card before we uh, put a bow on this. So it looks like it's the divisional rivalry, Toronto and Baltimore. Do you see any possibility that a Detroit or a Houston could play spoiler? Detroit. It's the only team, and that's just because of schedule. 
Got four against Cleveland, and then they play at Atlanta. Isn't it amazing that... How right do you end the season, by the way, with an interleague matchup? It's funny to me because the Indians went on that big, big uh, winning streak yeah. mid-season. And if you look at it, it was White Sox, Atlanta, interleague, Twins. Like, okay, it was cool and impressive. It was just a, a concentration test. It's like going to the Combine and not getting arrested. Right. I'm just glad that you can show up. But isn't it crazy that the Astros would be in the playoffs if they could just beat the Rangers a fraction of the time? And the Angels... Yeah, I was living daylights out of them in the last couple weeks, so, which is crazy to see. I know you're an Angels fan, and this has been bad year. Basically, a season from hell. I, you guys cannot stay healthy. No, the pitching. It seems like every single guy wants to go and have Tommy John. I mean, Garrett Richards is. <laughs> well, I don't know if they want to get. I think it's, it's, it's like, me. Me ordering, next. It it's like you're at the grocery part. store and yeah. you're trying to pull the next number. Yeah. That's what these guys are doing right now for Tommy John surgery. I went to Indians Angels uh, a couple months ago. This was before the, we even got to, I think, the All-Star break. Maybe shortly after. You'd think three months left in the season, it'd be you wouldn't have been bitten so bad by the injury bug. I didn't recognize half the Angel players. It was the minor league show. The outfielders, I'm sure you had no idea who they were. That's the issue. The left A couple field. guys batting, yeah. There was a couple guys dead serious that had zero averages in that game. <laughs> so, And I don't think it was because they were horrible. I just think they had no at-bats at the big league level. No, they, they got crushed. Injuries. Andrew Simmons got hurt at short. I mean, you, they left field. They had nobody all season. Trout is the saving grace. Pools has been tremendous this year. I'm glad to see that. I, I, I lived in St. Louis for the tail end of his dominance there. He went to the Angels. There were questions about his durability. We, we don't need to get into the contract, whether what was deserved in baseball. But I'm glad he didn't just completely break down to the end of his career. He's a good enough he's guy. He's been good. He's been good. He's but. been really good. I mean, he battles his foot injury, but he's got over 100 RBIs, and he's been really good. But like you said, pitching's been really bad. But listen, it's, it's a waste to talk about them. They're not involved right now. Uh, I think going back to your original question, I think the Tigers are the only team. Seattle and Houston play each other, so I think that'll hurt them. Yeah. Because... They're not going to really gain any ground on anybody if they beat each other up. So, Toronto-Baltimore. and But I just want to see that just for another game in Toronto that is for it all. Yeah. Because that, that was fan the best base. Game. That was the craziest inning. Oh, was that the seventh? Or the Josh eighth? Donaldson, I think it was in the seventh inning, hits that home run against Texas. You had Batista going yard. You had a fight. You had... Or, no, sorry, Batista, not Josh Donaldson. <laughs> Batista at the home run. There was a, a couple errors. There was a... There was the bat flip. There was the brawl. It's tremendous. Yeah. It's crazy. And we're going to go serious one more time here on the Money Mitch Effect with Brandon Marcus. We're in Los Angeles. We mentioned, Brandon, that you grew up an Angels fan. But Vince Scully, last game. 67 years with one team. Last home game. Last home game, I should say. Let's not count them out quite yet, but yes. Last last home home game, game. 67 years with the Dodgers organization, was hired in Brooklyn in 1950. I didn't grow up here, so there's no way that I could fully have experienced you living in that time. So if you could share to me in your best words what Vince Scully meant to baseball growing up on the West Coast in Southern California. Vin was the guy you listened to on TV and on radio, but more importantly on radio. And in L.A., Chick Hearn was the same thing on the basketball side for the Lakers. They paint a picture. And for Vin, he was the true storyteller, and still is. 
you could go into your car or you could bring your radio to the ballpark, you bring it to school, and you could hear the game and Vint would paint the story for you. And it's incredible what he's meant to this town and what he's done for this city. It's a guy that got the key to the city from Eric Garcetti, something that doesn't get done often, and you could see why you look at that ballpark and there are fans bawling their eyes out. I watched that Kevin Costner speech, and then Vin, Vin comes to the mic. That was tremendous, by the way. Vin comes to the mic and goes, oh, stop, it's just me. And I had a tear come down my eye, just thinking about how this is it. No more of the guy that was... Dodgers baseball for so many years. I mean, just to have, just to have that job for as long as he did is a feat in and of itself, and to excel at the job. Incredible. First thing is, and I definitely think you'd agree, the city of Los Angeles has been pretty spoiled over the years with some of their play-by-play. You just have to go. I don't know that you can top it. No, you can't. Bob Miller in L.A. with the Kings. Chick uh, Hearn. Chick Hearn. Say what you will about Ralph Lawler. Ralph Lawler's been with the Clippers forever. For me, for Vin Scully, so I didn't grow up here. The first time I ever heard Vin Scully was on a video game at MLB 99 as a kid. And I remember, not, re- not revisionist history, just thinking how clean and pure everything sounded. If you fast forward to the YouTube era, as you know, Brandon, I'm a bit of a sports nut. I hear stories from relatives, my grandpa, my dad, my uncle, about great plays in baseball and football history as well. Vin Scully was also a great football He answer. was... On the call for the catch. And uh, and Kurt Kurt Gibson's home run and the catch. Um, But you hear those plays. You hear how great it was. You hear it from people. They tell you to go watch it. You hear Vin's call. And you could close your eyes. Radio, TV. I don't know if there's ever been anyone that's been so seamlessly great at both. There isn't. You know from experience as a broadcaster... You pretty much have to change a lot of your style when you have visual and you don't. The way Vin was with words and was telling the sports story, I mean, he was able to do it as, as smooth as anyone. And you, you hit the nail on the head. Since moving out here, especially getting to see how he interacts with people and how he handles himself, a stand-up guy. He's a and true that's, mensch. And that's what... <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't use that word that much. He is. is. Listen, that's, that's a perfect word to describe him. And Just I'll, the gentleman. I'll tell you a story about him real quickly. I got a chance to go see him speak at some event, and there was a thing beforehand where you could go and take a picture with him. So, of course, I got in line, I took a picture with him, and so I'm like, holy crap, I'm about to see Vince Scully. What am I going to say to him? So I walk up to him as I'm about to take a picture with him, shake his hand, and I say, Vin, I'm a broadcaster. Do you have any words of advice? And he goes, oh, you don't want any words of advice from me. You'll be just fine. That's awesome. It's just Vin. Like, there's no individual more humble. He hated the fact that Sunday's game turned into a perfect story for him. He hated it. I mean, you look at yesterday's game. It was a one-run game, two outs in the ninth. Corey Seager hits a home run. To send in extras, because of course, why wouldn't you have extra innings for Vin's last game? And hear more Vin, because the Dodgers did not want to let him go. Then Charlie Culberson comes up, most unlikeliest of guys, has not hit a home run all year. Hits a walk-off home run, 
and you're waiting because you know Vin will let the crowd tell the story. Vin gives his call, he goes silent, that's, and the crowd goes nuts. You know, that's something, too. You mentioned him being a gentleman, being a mensch, and his love of the game kept him involved and kept him at a peak level into, into his late 80s. Oh, he's still it's damn good. Insane that he's that good, but if you, if you break it all down, he loves the game of baseball. He prepares. He lives for it. He would probably do the job for a lot less money than he's making. That's just the kind of guy he is. The other thing you mentioned that I think you, you touched on perfectly is it was never about him. In the world of broadcasting, in the world of sports broadcasting, you see it every week somewhere. A broadcaster just making it a little too much about them, trying to ham up a call. It was never about him. It was about the players. It was about the crowd. It was about the experience. And that's going to be my lasting memory of Vince Scully, the broadcaster. Is he, was a good, he was a great broadcaster, probably the best ever. But at the end of the day, he let the sport speak for itself. Nobody else does. No. Everyone wants to have that big call, go crazy on a buzzer beater, go crazy with a walk-off home run. The guy gets up and lets the crowd just tell the story for a full minute while he goes out to the back of the booth and pours himself a glass of water. I get it. Yeah. No, nobody else does that. I put him one, and the only guy that I think could even come close, a, a two still, would be Emmerich. Emmerich's totally different in his. Emmerich's different. Emmerich's the thing you said that they're similar play by play. is the handshake line to him is silence. Yeah. The end of a game, the pressure situations, the timeout. There'd be so many hockey or sports announcers in general that would be going nuts, like, all right, this is what's going to happen here, and then what, you know. And, but yeah, Vin Scully. No, it's, it's all about Vin. Yeah, and he's going to be. I mean, he'll, he'll be missed. He'll be missed. And, Big time. And I would hate to be the guy that has to replace him. And most likely. It's gonna be a young guy. I mean, it's gonna. I think it's gonna be Joe Davis, who currently is doing some play-by-play on TV for them when Vin doesn't travel, and that's a lot of pressure for a 28-year-old. It's a tough so to replace Vin. I mean, if I were to ask you who replaced Chick Hearn, would you know? No. Paul Sunderland. Ooh. Currently doing some Olympics. I think he did volleyball, and he does some random games here and there. Wow, it's tough. But knowing Vin, I think he'll help out. Yeah, I, I think Vin will. It's, he's just such a stand-up guy. And to see all the players come to the plate yesterday and tip their cap to him in cool. their first at-bat, nobody else gets that treatment. Nobody else does. No announcer, not even close. Vin is a guy that cares about the players. They all come up to, booth, come up to the booth. They want to talk to him. Visiting players, too. Oh, all yeah. of them. You see all the pictures come out of David Ortiz going into the booth. You see the Rockies going into the booth, the D-backs. He wants to talk to these players and find out more about them because he loves to find out their story. And that shows in the broadcast when he's telling stories about DJ LeMahieu and talking and using his full name. How many broadcasters have you heard DJ LeMahieu say DJ LeMahieu and not say his full name? Yeah. I mean, it's, he wants to know the origin of everything. Because he cares about these kids. And if he could have it his way, you heard in the Dodgers uh, ceremony on Friday, he would want there to be nobody that gets the blame after a loss. He doesn't want any goat. He doesn't want a Bill Buckner. He just wants a true game played the way it should be. We're all going to miss him, but what a, what a career. That's, that's incredible. Second. And I can't wait to see what San Francisco does for him. And I was talking to somebody earlier today, and I hope that the NL 
race is, de- is decided on the wild card side by then, I don't think it's going to be. I think Sunday's going to be huge. Probably because yeah. a lot of the focus should be on Vin, but it's not going to be, I think, if the Giants are in a tight race. And the one last point I want to bring up. Nothing says Vince Scully perfectly in the All-Star game this year. They reached out to him. They wanted him to no. He said, no, it's not my place. It's Even the playoffs this year. Unbelievable. He, he doesn't want it to be about him. He wants his last game to be his last game and not for it to be a, well, game four be his last <laughs> game. Game five be his last to, game. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. It's, it's, it's sad that he's gone, but what a career and what a life behind the microphone he has had. Incredible. All right, with Brandon Marcus, we're going to wrap this up on the Money Mitch Effect. Some uh, award picks. Who do you? Let's do let's it. Let's go around it. Who do you? We'll do. We'll do Cy Young Rookie of the. Well, we'll just do Cy Young MVP. I think those are the big. We'll do Rookie of the Year we'll too. Do rookie of the Year, okay. I think I think Rookie of the Year only because I think it'll be interesting to talk about the AL. Okay, let's start there then. AL Rookie of the Year. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to give it to Fulmer, but initially I wrote down Gary Sanchez. <laughs> Because that guy has been Homer, incredible. Yeah. I mean, Gary Sanchez is one of the reasons why the Yankees actually still had hope. I mean, if you look at what Gary Sanchez has done since being called up, he's on pace, I think they said, for over 80 home runs over a full 162 games. You know, anytime you're, you put graphics up, Yankee history, and it's Ruth Mantle. <laughs> That's the three board ESPN uses. First week in baseball, what he right. was doing. So, what do you think about the NL? Corey Seager. Unbiasedly, I'd, I'd be shocked if he didn't get it. It has to be right. I mean, Dodger scouting—they've they've had some young. Oh, they've been good. They—they they had a couple guys. I mean, Jose De Leon's a guy that we barely saw this year. That will be in the rotation for years to come. And De Leon was striking out ten plus in every single AAA outing before getting called up. And I got a chance to see some of these. I saw Corey Seager play. When he was in Ogden in rookie ball, and then when he was in Great Lakes, did you in know that? Did you know then that he had the potential? To well, be I knew good? he'd be really good. Okay, so I want to want to package this. We'll do AL first, NL. We'll do Cy Young and MVP, and then we'll okay. do the other side. Am I gonna have two Indians in the in the running for both? I don't even know who you're expecting to see for the Indians. I had hopes about Lindor, but no, yeah, not happening. And Kluber, no chance there. No. I, I, I think Porcello. I know Porcello's what he's got doing. it. I know Porcello's got it. The Cy Young. Cooper's been good, but not a not a really not a final. Cole Hamels was the guy that was going to have it until he went ahead and gave up six runs or more in three or four starts, and he just got blasted. Give up seven in two different starts and six in another. So okay, I can respect that. I, I, I don't think you're seeing the Indians. Yeah, Purcell's got to run away with it. How could you not give him 22 the Twenty-two wins, four losses, ERA of three-one-one. And then, is it Betts? That's my vote. I, I think it has to be. Uh, the only other guy that you Ortiz? can consider is that'd be a here's the interesting thing. He doesn't play defense though. Here's the interesting I think that thing. First of all, if the Astros were to win the playoffs, you could have made a very good case for Jose Altuve. Without question. Because Altuve's been oh, incredible. You can say the same thing about Mike, Mike Trout. See, Mike <laughs> Trout right now actually still has the highest war. His war is 10.3. Wins above re, above replacement frame, but it doesn't know what war yeah. is. And the, the problem with that for this year would be you take those away and they're still in the They're still terrible, place. exactly. And it has to go to a guy that is on a winning team. And it'll be interesting to see with bets because just like in the NL, and we'll talk about that for in a second, do two guys on the same team split votes? 
this is where I think it's fine. I don't think it's like a bas- like basketball where one person's impact is can be directly hindering the production that one person could have, like on a basketball court with one ball. But does it stop them from getting the votes needed? I don't think so. Donaldson? I Betts is tough, man. I, you know, Donaldson's probably who I would say would be my second pick, though. I think Betts is one. I would go Donaldson. And, yeah. Probably, right? I think you'd have to go. Altuve with, might be a finalist, though. He might be. Uh, Altuve, Betts, Ortiz, Donaldson. I think you're your top four. Uh, Trout will be in there just because it's Trout. But he's on a losing team. NL, we'll do, uh, let's do MVP first because I feel like that's a little easier. <laughs> Is Chris any, Bryant. Yeah, okay. You got the words out of my mouth. Yeah. There. That's what I meant. Anybody else Anthony might, Rizzo's been great. A guy that I think should get recognition. Murphy. Oh, Daniel Murphy was tremendous. I think he's been hurt recently, which is killing them. Um, I think he will be a finalist, no doubt about it. 47 average, 25 and 100. By the way, do you think the Dodgers want to see him in the first round? (laughs) No, I don't. Do the Cubs want to see him? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, wow. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That'd be a tough one. But Cy Young, this is NL Cy Young is what I'm actually looking the most forward to. I want to get your thoughts on who you have winning it. I have John Lester winning it. Lester, here's a good one for you. Over his last 75 and a third innings pitched, his ERA is .96. He's been tremendous. Arietta's been very, very good. But John Lester, I think, is the guy. How many Cubs are going to be in the, in the right? Lester, Hendricks, I and See, because Hendricks Arrieta. is the guy. Hey, that's the, so you're going clean sweep at the podium for one, two, three. Uh. USA Women's Track and Field it. Poor Kershaw. I mean, I if know. Kershaw would have stayed That's healthy, he'd be right there. Bumgarner has been good. But I feel like Bumgarner is those three. gear up for the, the Cy Young. He's just, Scherzer? Yeah. I might go Hendricks here. Because you mentioned the really? one-loss category not meaning as much. The disparity between ERAs. He's the only guy under two right now with 199. Cubs are... <laughs> I mean, we just outlined why they're going to be almost impossible to beat. Where's Their the starting pitching is incredible. The lineup's great. Schwarber hurt. And it Schwarber goes down. And, oh, here. Wilson Contreras. How about you? You want to come up? How many teams, other than the Cubs, would remain afloat after something like that with serious aspirations? We're talking like the teams that are team. still in it. The Dodgers, who lost Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. The Giants. Who lose? I guess panic. I should say how many teams could be producing at that level. I don't know. None. I don't think any can. But Theo Epstein is he going to go down as the best general manager ever? You know, we'll wrap the show with that question because it's interesting. My initial thought is one of the best ever. Genius. A lot of people in Boston, though. I don't know if it's sour grapes, but think a lot of his success there wasn't really all him. Really? How much? How much was on the players that were already previously acquired when he got there? I think he does. I think he's the best at shedding bad contracts and rebuilding the system. But does he always? You know, no one always hits home runs on the on scouting. I think he'll go down as an all as one of the best. But he has made his fair, fair mistakes. Everyone does, but you have to make the picks, and they say, "Oh, Chris Bryant was right there." Chris Bryant didn't go number one. I know. So it's one of those things where you have to select the guy. Yeah. I mean, Bryant didn't go one. Mark Appel, I believe, was the one that went one that year. And the Astros could have had him. 
And think about that. And then they, I, I mean, the Astros got him, I think, that year. Astros had Correa one year, then they got Pell the next year. I think Theo Epstein, what he's done in Chicago is great. The amount of bad contracts around the books when he got there. Yeah. It took him a long time. It's Seriano and Derek Lee, there was some big money on there. Zambrano. But eventually, he wielded them all away. And, and they've got the talent now. And they've got guys that would be starting on every other roster. I mean, Javi Baez isn't starting every day. Jorge Soler, not starting every single day. Dexter Fowler, huge, huge for him to come back and not go and sign that contract. I believe it was with the Orioles. And then that ended up falling apart and he went back to Chicago. All this and Arietta hasn't even looked like anything close to Arietta. He was great last time. time out. He was great yeah. last time out. But listen, that's all you need is for him to be good down the stretch. So you go. You think it's going to be Red Sox Cubs? Is that? I think that'd be good for be. baseball. That'd be they great for need, baseball. They need some poppies. So many storylines. World Series back at Wrigley. I'm rooting for it. Last. Now that we're talking about it, I'm rooting for that. I really don't. I kind of like the Cubs streak to keep going, and I don't want the Red Sox to win again. But I can't deny that that would be a phenomenal thing for the game. It'd be a great World Series. Yeah. All right, Brandon Marcus. Thanks for coming on. Anything uh, you want to talk about or share about what's going on, on the work side? No, no, nothing big. I mean, getting ready for uh, heading back to NFL soon. Seeing all your peeps, you know all them, and play-by-play coming back soon. Cal State Fullerton, got the men's and women's basketball. So looking forward to it. I appreciate it, Brandon. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome on the show anytime. Dude, glad to be be here. I mean, have me on anytime. I'd love to talk sports with you, you know, whenever you and I get together. And we can sit and talk sports forever. And now we got some good topics to talk about. This is fun. All right, big thanks to Brandon and Tom for coming on the show and sharing their sports thoughts with me. Another episode of The Money Mitch Effect is in the books. You can find all the podcasts at SoundCloud. Money Mitch is my name there, as well as my Twitter handle, Money Mitch M, number 21, where all the podcasts are listed. We have another show later this week as we dive deeper into the college football ranks and look forward to next week with the NFL, as well as the start of hockey and basketball. They're right around the corner, so we will definitely be diving deep into that. Thanks again for listening. Money Mitch, signing off.